Welcome to Lung Cancer Considered, the podcast of the International Association for the Study of Lung Cancer, a global organization dedicated to research and practice advances in thoracic oncology. You can find all our podcasts on SoundCloud and ISLC.org and the newsroom. I'm your host, Dr. Narjos Flores. Welcome to Lung Cancer Considered. I'm your host, Dr. Narjos Flores, the Associate Director of the Cancer Care Equity Program at Dana-Farber Cancer Institute and an Assistant Professor of Medicine at Harvard Medical School. Today, I'm delighted to have Dr. Emily Stone as she has succeeded as the new Editor-in-Chief of JO Clinical and Research Reports. We will discuss her article, Building on a Legacy. JTOCRR was launched in early 2020 as an open access companion to ISLC flagship journal to provide more opportunity for publishing manuscripts at a time in which thoracic oncology research is expanding at a very rapid pace. Dr. Stone is a consultant respiratory physician and head of thoracic medicine in the Department of Thoracic Medicine and Lung Transplantation Hospital, where she established a clinic to treat lung cancer. She's also the founding and immediate past chair of St. Business Hospital Lung Cancer Multidisciplinary Team. Dr. Stone was also the principal investigator for the International Lung Screening Trial, investigated optimal strategies in low-dose CT screening for lung cancer, and works on investigating a smoking sensation in cancer clinics. She serves as the Deputy Board Chair of the Thoracic Oncology Group, OIA, known as TOGA, and she has extensive journal editing experience, which includes past roles as Associate Editor of JTO, Associate Editor of JTO-CRR, and the Deputy Editor of Respirology. Welcome, Dr. Stone. Thank you very much. As we are talking among friends, we're going to refer to each other by first name. We would love to get to know you better and hear more about your role as the new Editor-in-Chief of JTLCRR. Let's begin with your career first. What motivates you to pursue a career in thoracic oncology and lung cancer screening? I think it dates back to fairly uh, junior days when I in the multidisciplinary group at my training hospital and I really enjoyed the meetings. I loved the collaborative work, the multidisciplinary work. I loved hearing all the senior people talk about the cases and it really opened my eyes to, I guess, the uncertainty of medicine and the importance of having um, the different angles, the different points of view and looking back, I think what I was appreciating was the fact that care should be personalised but also incorporate science and clinical evidence. So I think that caught my attention and there were, it, it was sort of early days in terms of multidisciplinary teams or tumour boards in, in in Australia then. Some had been going for a long time but institutes didn't have them and I had the opportunity to start a group for for my um, for my institution once I moved on, one thing led to another, but I, I do remember when I wanted to start the multidisciplinary group and I was very junior and extremely nervous and I, I rang around all these senior people that I was terrified of and said, would you be interested in coming to a meeting if we started one? Everybody said yes and I literally just booked a date and booked a room 
and it went on from there and hasn't stopped since, and that's about 17 years ago. So there was a big gap, there was a big need, and I think it was the collaborative work that really caught me. And then there's everything that we we all know about lung cancer, which is that it's changed so much in the last 10 to 15 years in terms of treatment opportunities and the focus. And, and then I became aware of how many brilliant people are working in this field, and it, it was unstoppable. Thank you for sharing with we us. And I think that shows, you know, not only leadership, but courage. How was that to come with, you know, these people that may have been more senior and say, we need to do this, can you come this? You know, as somebody early in my career, I would love to hear, you know, how that moment was, because it required courage, right, to create all of this from the ground up. Well, I was tachycardic in every meeting for about seven years. And I remember every day, every week, I'd walk down to the meeting room. We had some um, people, older people, come to that meeting who were told to come to the meeting, but were of a, a vintage where they didn't really they didn't buy in. They didn't think multidisciplinary team care was worth it. And frankly, there was some hostility in the room. And so I do remember every week walking down to chair the meeting, being at that time one of the youngest consultants in the room, feeling very, very nervous. But I think I just knew or I, I'd i committed to do it. I'd made a public commitment to do it. I couldn't back out. I didn't want to back out. I knew it was the right thing to do. And I just had to put up with it. And some key people were very supportive in an indirect way. Some of the very senior surgeons were great. The younger oncologists were great. The radiologists were terrific. Uh, the respiratory people. So it was just three or four people who, who, who were difficult. But we kind of all knew that their points of view was going to be old-fashioned very soon. So it was... It was um, I think I was I was stubborn. I was committed. I um, I had some support, and I think when you know you're onto the right thing, you you stick it out somehow, and it was worth it. After about eight years, it got a lot better, which sounds like a long time, but looking back, it wasn't too bad. I love hearing that, and I think you know, trying something new is scary. And along those lines, <laughs> is it my next question? Right. So we would love to know a little bit better about you know your journey but also this new role as a new associate editor editing includes a lot of work and it's a special skill right objectivity emails and all of that what got you interested into you know editing we in oncology we in medicine and now as a editor-in-chief oh so many things so i I've always loved books and reading and writing, so it taps into that love of text and love of words that I've always had. I think I've I I I became aware of JTO a long time ago, a long time before I knew where I was really heading in thoracic oncology. I remember reading it and thinking, wow, this journal, this journal is great. This journal has articles on stuff that really interests me that I remember the topics were very pertinent to day-to-day -day clinical practice. The, the the topics, the the titles, the content wasn't it was it was a lot less dry and remote than some of the other journals I was reading, and I just found it really useful. So I paid attention. It drew me towards ILC, 
And then I um, ended up on the Tobacco Control Committee, which, and I'm very happy to say this, I've said this before, was a complete accident. I, I was... I think I joined ISLC because I thought I should and there was a call to go on committees and I put my name down for a couple of others and I can't actually remember what they were. But I didn't get onto the committees I was interested in. I just got put on the Tobacco Control Committee, which was a golden lucky break for me. And so I, I went with it. A lot of my career has been just walking through doors that open and not banging on doors that close. And I ended up on a committee with an amazing array of people. And I'm actually not going to name any of them because I'll miss somebody. But the core group that was on the committee when I started about 10 years ago were and are world leaders in smoking cessation and cancer and tobacco control. And they were already at peaks of their careers then and they've stayed at the top of the game. And I joined them and I was absolutely, um, after a while I realised, how lucky I was. The first few meetings, months, maybe even a year or two, I actually didn't really understand much was going on because on the meetings because I, I was very, very new to tobacco control and even smoking cessation, even as a lung physician, we're not brilliantly trained in smoking cessation in Australia or frankly anywhere in the world, I think. Some people who take it upon themselves to do it are. Anyway, I, I sat there and listened to all this stuff and, and half the time thought, what are you talking about? about and then I gradually I I cottoned on and then I started doing a little bit of writing for the committee and that um, taught me a bit more and then again this probably wasn't out of the blue but it felt out of the blue I was invited to join JTO as an associate editor uh, and I, I hadn't had a lot of editorial experience by then that was um, after Dr Jet finished although by then I'd got to know him fairly well on the committee and I do regard him as a, a a key mentor for me. And Dr. Ajay invited me onto the onto the journal. And again, quietly and, and a little remotely across the globe, um, mentored me brilliantly in editorial skills and provided they both provided a fantastic example of how to approach the literature, of how to to develop that objectivity. Along the way, I started and finished a PhD, so I had my own experience of um, research and rejection, because I think you have to be very conscious of when you reject people, which is what you do a lot as an editor, how to do it kindly and constructively, and so that they've got something to take with them. I always regard it as a huge win if anything I write gets reviewed, even if it gets rejected, just to have those review comments is a gift, and you can take those and use them elsewhere. So I learned a lot of my editorial skills on the job, and I think that's uh, one of the major ways you have to do it. I don't think you can go to editorial skills, to editorial school. And then in terms of the editor-in-chief job, I, I remember seeing the call for it and I, I kind of froze in place because I thought, oh, I love that. And then I thought, can I manage? I was already felt like I was at capacity with what I was doing. Anyway, I thought about it for a long time time, talked to a couple of key people, a couple of smart family members, and then I realised, of course, I was going to apply. There was no way I could resist. It, it It ticked a lot of boxes for me in terms of what I love doing, in how I like thinking, and just immersing myself in writing and the science. And I've realised over time I'm a big picture person, so I like to zoom out and 
look at the landscape that's fed into the kind of research I do in my own work and into how I pro approach projects. And so it made perfect sense to me to, 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 um, to apply for that role. And I really wasn't sure whether I would get it. I had a, a couple of uh, comments from people in ISLC I know who implied that they thought I should go for it. And I thought, well, if they think I should, I then maybe I should. And so I did. And here we are. I feel so, so lucky to, to have been appointed. Thank you so much for walking us to that journey. And most importantly, thank you for being so honest. We honestly <laughs> love how, you know, we hear the real moment, like you ended in the committee, no certain, and that's how I ended in a committee at ISLC, the communications committee. Here we are doing a podcast. So um, reminded to everybody, committee no nominations are due soon, and it's a great opportunity to get involved with the organization. So oh, as absolutely, second, absolutely. Thank you. And as we move forward to the future of the journal, what are some of the biggest challenges opportunities for an editor and particularly for an editor-in-chief? I think the opportunities are, for, are just amazing. We are building our editorial management team at the moment, so our journal's going to have a lot more oomph going forward. I think that uh, the scope of JTOCRR is potentially very broad. We're very focused on its global reach and its open access um, character. We're very aware that open access means fees, so we do want to make sure the author experience is very good. I have not finished building my editorial, my associate editorial team, and I have some very specific and general ideas about how to do that that will be a collaborative effort, and there's some particular content gaps to fill um, some skills to bring on and also some regions of the world we want to tap into. That'll be a, it won't be a rapid process for me. I think it's really important to make sure that we take the right steps forward. The current editorial team is just fantastic. I'm very, very lucky that Dr. Adji built such a good team. In terms of content and the type of papers, again, I have very clear and very, then very general ideas. There's lots of different ways journals can engage in format. So there's traditional published articles, but we are developing some thoughts about interactive components and more sort of online-based components as well. In terms of content, I think that I see JTOCRR as a sister journal to JTO, but also some different. So I am very keen to build content based on some of the areas that are less uh, of a focus for JTO, I want to reach more into public health aspects of lung cancer. I want to reach more into some qualitative work. I want to reach strongly into tobacco control in smoking cessation. And I'm looking to build the editorial team particularly around that. And on translational research at both ends, but perhaps almost at, more at the T2 to T3 end, so the implementation of research is uh, off, uh, where I've done quite a lot of my own the, the broad brushes and then in terms of specifics well one specific came up in recent conversations and this is to do with reaching into the developing world which is a part of the IASLC mission it's one of the things that I think has really made IASLC what it is uh, such a global society 
And I'm very keen to build relationships between GATO, CRR and research groups in uh, lower and middle, middle income countries. I think we have to keep a focus on very high quality science but also, but and so sort of reach into those um, scientific communities and and work with them so that we can attract uh, the submissions that will be accepted, will be acceptable, and that we can help push that research and build those capacities going forward. I love the global effort because the battle against um, thoracic malignancies is a global is a global issue, and I think understanding lung cancer and some areas that are you know, on their study or maybe significantly different, the time is now to do that. And, you know, do research, implementation research that you mentioned that fits the needs of the region instead of what, for example, we may consider to be the adequate step in the United States may not be the right thing to work in Brazil of um, in Equatorial Africa. Dr. Stone, one question that I think we all wonder is, being an editor-in-chief takes a lot of time, additionally to your physician responsibilities. How are you managing, what are your recommendations, you know, when it comes to not only time management, but prioritization of tasks now that you, you have this big role in the journal? Such a great question. And I think that there's no one straight answer. Uh, some of the things that I've employed to cope with it and oh, in very early days maybe I haven't quite realized the full extent of the commitment I think first of all you have to really want to do it it has to be irresistible and you have to love the day-to-day -day stuff and I did think about that carefully and I remember years ago years ago when I was very junior I was actually thinking about a surgical career and there's lots of reasons why I shouldn't be a surgeon, but I remember sitting in a surgical tea room between cases very junior and the senior surgeon I was assisting was 15 years into his consultantship. He was very tired and he just looked exhausted and said, oh, this is so hard. And I remember thinking, if you want to do surgery, you have to want to do that and nothing else because that's what it's going to take. I feel a little bit like that about being an editor. I think it is once the opportunity was in front of me, I, I suddenly realised that that's probably where I was heading for many years. I love research. I'm not the best generator of hypotheses. I'm not the best field researcher. I get quite anxious about collecting data. I get anxious about being on that front line, cutting edge, falling off the cliff moment when you're trying to either do experiments or bring patients into a trial. I felt both stimulated and very comfortable with the idea of editing because I, I just love immersing myself in in thinking and and in analysing and in text. And my daughter nailed it. She said, Mum, you're just a philosopher, so maybe that's part of it. I think that in terms of thinking about the workload, once I felt committed to it and realised that it was the next phase of my career, I, I didn't I didn't become anxious about the workload. I think I <laughs> I promised my partner that it really wouldn't be noticeable. I'm not sure that's true, but anyway. And I think I've learned over many years, clinician, a researcher, and as a mother, uh, that 
compartmentalizing your time mentally is a really important tool. So I try when I'm being a mother to be a mother and when I'm in clinic to concentrate on clinic and not let the anxieties about the other parts of my life get in the way. And when I'm being an editor, I try to say to myself, the next four hours, I'm being an editor. And it helps to actually be appointed and think that's my identity, at least for today, because then I can put the other stuff down. So compartmentalization is really important. I love this, Emily. I'm taking notes as you're talking. This is wonderful. This is not only getting to know you, but it's also life advice for any of our listeners. I love that. I'm going to put my researcher hat tomorrow morning and I will let you know how that goes. Fantastic. So as we continue, I'm going to talk back to the journal about JTO clinical and research reports. We talk a little bit about some of the stuff you're interested in. What would be the top three topics that you are hoping to get, you know, into the journal in the next year? One trials, database analysis. What are some of the things you're looking so our listeners can consider the journal for their next submission? I think the top three broad topics. And I don't want any top anybody's special interests to feel excluded but i think probably the things that are really standing out for me are equity of access uh and i'm very focused that on on that in australia in terms of lung cancer screening because we are heading towards a, a rolling out a, the rolling out of a, a national program so equity of access for screening for treatment for um tobacco treatment And um, somebody said to me recently, and and this really rang true, was that the the high-end molecular targeted personalised precision medicine is so important in lung cancer. But for great, great enormous parts of the world, tobacco cessation and control is much more pressing. So it's equity of access, thinking about bringing what a certain population needs to that population. Next is really ramping up our awareness of tobacco control because we're seeing data that tells us that in the parts of the world, we've known this for a while, where tobacco control is well underway and smoking rates have gone, we're seeing a decrease in lung cancer incidence and mortality. But there are parts of the world that are extremely vulnerable to uh, the impact of the tobacco epidemic. We're also in a slightly difficult phase in Western countries with the advent of cigarettes in an uncontrolled fan. And, uh, you know, I'm very public on my views on e-cigarettes and, and uh, what Australia should do about them, which differs from what other countries are doing. I think that we could lose control of nicotine and uh, nicotine addiction quite quickly in countries where e-cigarette use in young people is unfettered. And I think there's a real risk that in several days' time we might have regressed in terms of the tobacco epidemic. So I think that that's something that I want to to focus on. And a third area, and this is, again, um, probably sort of parallel to the, the precision and work, is the use of clinical data. It's part of my PhD work and, and there's a program we're building, a research program building here in Australia to look at really integrating real-time data into clinical practice. I've long been frustrated looking at the immense collections of clinical databases and then never get used again when we could use some of that real-time data 
to actually influence practice, help us with implementation and help us with all of those other challenges like equity of access and understanding the real-time impact of of cutting-edge clinical trial outcomes. So I think the use of clinical data, trying to bring that into real-time equity of access and important aspects of the tobacco epidemic will be three big areas that we're looking at. Having said that, please keep the submissions coming. We're really keen to hear from all parts of the world and uh, very, very keen to, 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 to be supportive, even if we don't accept papers, to, to provide constructive comment. And we learn from all our, our submissions. I learn something from every paper I read, and I try and look at every submission. Thank you. And that follows the question, where do you see JTOCRR going in the next 10 years? What would be like the vision for in 10 years from now? Mm. Well, um, what the stratosphere that we're hot on the heels of JTO and I make Dr. Adji very, very worried. In terms of uh, more uh, sort of down-to-earth specifics, I, in 10 years' time, I would like to uh, see it as a, a, a real flagship journal for the society with an editorial board that has grown, that includes researchers and clinicians from parts of the world that are not yet well represented on the journal editorial boards, that we have a focus on on the appropriate sort of diversity. And one other topic, actually, I just want to jump back to is we're very committed in Australia to uh, looking at First Nations health issues and building our research capacity with Indigenous researchers. And so that is another area that I'm very keen to build in JTOCIR. I think I would like to see uh, JTOCIR in 10 years as a, a major thoracic oncology journal. And we are here to hear here and see that. Um, maybe we can reconvene in 10 years from now. I think as we you mentioned multiple times in front of diversity, something that we need to talk about it is that thoracic oncology initially wasn't a field uh, that had a large number of women. It was a very limited number. We luckily are seeing changes now. We are first female CEO, Dr. Karen Kelly, and our second female president, Dr. Heather Weekly. Have you seen as we continue to improve the inclusion of women in the rest? What has been your experience in this regard? I've had a very good experience, but when I look back, I realise that um, that I didn't get off scot-free, that I was subject to missed opportunities because I was a woman and not really complaining. I'm a very privileged woman. I'm fantastic educational bound and um, always had fantastic jobs, but there were definitely opportunities that, that were dangled in front of me and then taken away and given to, uh, given to a man. So I think that it's, we, we have to be conscious of that. I was at a, recently at a women in medicine forum where I heard the statistic for the first time that seven percent of editors in chief in clinical medicine are women. I haven't I haven't researched that, but I'm sure that it's probably close to the truth. I don't really think about my myself as a female editor in chief when I'm actually doing my work. It does not change anything I do, and I am also blessed with uh, fantastic men in my life. So I've had amazing personal and professional support from my father, my husband, and my son. I have had fantastic male members, I still do, male colleagues and um, friends. But I think that there are areas where we do have to actually kick in and say, are we providing adequate opportunities to women? 
I think that's across the board. It's not just thoracic oncology. And what we do know uh, is that talent and effort are universal, but opportunities are not. And what I try and focus on in my own practice and life and institution is just to check in with myself and make sure that the opportunities are going to the people who are going to make the best use of them and not a woman, say, who is a little quieter, a little more in the background, a little less comfortable with putting herself forward. I am so delighted to be an ISSC when Heather's been president. I think she's done and doing great things, Karen as well. And if I can, as editor-in-chief, make somebody 10, 15 years behind me think, that's a possibility, then I'm thrilled. Thank you so much. And, you know, we all learn from each other. And I love that, that opportunities are not. And I, we should make a t-shirt of that. <laughs> yeah, I agree. So we're almost coming to the end, but I have a question that you need to ask. And it's for someone early in their career that is interested in becoming an editor or getting involved as a reviewer, which is a step one, what are your recommendations? And I have to say, we do not get formal training to become a reviewer during fellowship. So you become a reviewer immediately, and then there is no training. So what are your recommendations and any resources that you would like to share with your audience? So I know Dr. Edgy has run reviewer workshops through ISLC, and I think there are probably resources online. I became aware in the last week or so through talking to editorial management teams. But you're right. I've never really checked into those online resources I learned on the job. I think that there's probably more information available about it. I think also if you're interested in writing an editorial work and reviewing, then uh, it, once you get an invitation, then take it up and do it. But if you're not getting invitations, then I think it'd be reasonable to approach editors-in-chief. We're always really looking for reviewers. I personally would be happy, time permitting, to hear from people who are interested in reviewing JTOCRR and them work with them. I think I should be careful about what I'm offering to do, but certainly would want to be aware of people wanting to review because we are building towards workshops and webinars. And I think that if you want to get into editing, then the very first thing you could do, and this is something I look for when I'm looking for associate editors, is uh, write a, a, if you're invited to review, do work hard at it and be prompt and communicate with the editor and frankly say, I'm really interested in reviewing and I'd love to do more. But I I think uh, if anybody listening would like to review to JTOCR, please get in touch. I love that. Not only learning about you, but also opportunities for people that may be listening. And I'm a very young associate editor. And I think you and make me uh, better at my job. I think the more you read, the better you get at it. And also you see papers in a global aspect. I, I think my first reviews were like, this is not a complete sentence. But in fact, what what happened about the content, right? But I think that's right. And you, you can't really write if you don't read. That is completely true. So I appreciate your time and passion, Dr. Stone. Thank you for your time. And we look forward to continue learning from you and see where JTOCRR goes. Thank you very much for this opportunity. 
Thanks to everyone for listening to Lung Cancer Consider, the official ISLC podcast. And I hope that you will tune in on the first and the third weeks of every month to give us a listen. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to Lung Cancer Concert. You can find all our podcasts on our website, islc.org, in our newsroom, or on SoundCloud. Please take a moment to rank, like, write comments, and share your favorite episodes with your colleagues.